Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Hosanna. Praise to the King of Kings. Praise to the King of Kings. Hosanna, Lord, save us. Come and save us. We need your salvation. We declare that you are the Savior. And we glorify you. We praise you. We exalt you as King. Save us. Hosanna to the King of Kings. And I hear you say that. Hosanna to the King of Kings. 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 Save us, King of Kings. Save us, King of Kings. Thank you, Lord, that you are King of Kings. That you have come that we can exalt you. Amen. 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 Well, we're just getting started. So you can have your seats. Um, we're going to go to the Word of the Lord, and uh, then we're going to come back. Oh, yeah. The children, thank you so much for worshiping with us. Children are dismissed to go worship some more and hear some more of God's Word. Preschool is back here, Big House Elementary back there. Nursery is also open for the under twos. So, um, or so, I think that's about the right age. Um, so, uh, so fun to worship with the kids, especially at this time. So great to, great to have them with us. And great to have each of you with us, whether you're with us online or you're with us in person. Great to have some people here for the first time. Great to have some people back for the first time. Ronald, we're glad you're here. Welcome. It's been a little while. So, um, yeah, great to have so many of you here. We are in a series on Acts, and uh, I decided not to take a break from that to uh, do Palm Sunday. We're still worshiping Palm Sunday, but we're in our year series on a year to go and grow in God's overflow. So we're going to see today in Acts 14 how God was overflowing and how they were noticing God's overflow. But it happened when they went. So we, it's a year of God's overflow. We have this, but we also want to know that it's when you go that you grow in your appreciation and um, acknowledgement of God's overflow. So, of course, I like, have a question. I like to do that sometimes. What, who do you think of who knows nothing about God? A person you know, a uh, kind of people, uh, some group. When you think of somebody who knows nothing about God, who do you, who do you think of? And I, I'm going to ask you not to share this time, just in case it's the person next to you or something, you know. Um, so just think about who you thought of in your, in your, uh, in your own mind. <laughs> All right? I want you to have that in your, in your mind, and then I want to think an area of your life that seems God-forsaken, that some part of your life seems like, what? Where is God? I did not see this. Um, okay? A couple of questions to get us thinking. Now we're going to back up to what we've been talking about. We saw this appropriate church planted. We saw them send to the nations. 
Last week we saw appropriate good news for insiders. Paul and Barnabas were sharing in the synagogue with diaspora Jews just like them. And they made this point that Jesus fulfills our history and forgives our sins and makes us right with God and gives us eternal life. And that was their message to these brothers, they called them, and fellow Israelites and people who were like them. People who knew scripture, people who knew the whole history, and they just had to recount and they could just mention a few things and go all the way from Exodus to, to what was happening with Jesus to David and how it all connected. And today we're going to see them going into that, but another kind of situation. So um, we're going to see good news for outsiders, and they're going to get to some kind of rustic pagans, um, not the city and not the synagogue where Paul is used to things, but a little more out in the villages and a little more uh, rustic pagan. So here's where we start. Acts 14. I'm using the New Living Translation, I think, mostly. And uh, so the same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the... So the same thing as we just saw in Antioch, where he laid out the whole long sermon. And uh, I want you also to keep in mind that the audience for Luke is these diaspora Jews who are all over. And Luke is probably a diaspora Jew himself, or at least a God-fearer who grew up in the synagogue, speaks great Greek, especially, sounds like Bible Greek, the Greek translation. And uh, so he gave a long speech of Paul's that was directed at them. He's going to give a shorter speech here, but he's going to show he's modeling how we, how anybody can reach different kinds of people with an appropriate message. So, it's a model for us. The same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue. This is what they do when they come to Newtown. They preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles, the nations, against Paul and Barnabas. But the apostles, even with that, stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. So their message was bold, and it was about God's grace for people. Isn't that great news? And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. I have a question for you. Why signs? Why, why does this say God gave them signs? So a sign points to something, right? You know, like if you go to Harmar Mall, you don't stand outside by the sign, right? The sign is just so you know that's where Harmar Mall is. Right? We have a sign out here. When you came to church, you didn't stand at the sign, right? You're just like, oh, this is where I get to go in. Right? So what are the signs pointing to? According to this. The truth of the message. Yes. To, to Jesus. And that this was the grace of the Lord, right? So that... The signs and wonders are to confirm the message that they were preaching. God proved it was true by giving them signs to show that, yeah, yeah, this message is true. This is from God. You got it? We're going to see a little later that there are other options. And you may notice that there are other options sometimes when God moves. People think it's a sign of something else. Like how great I am. How great the preacher is, how great this church is, how great this movement is, how great uh, Pensacola or Brownsville or someplace else is. Okay? The signs are supposed to point to Jesus and confirm the message of his grace. Following me? Okay. Um, 
But you got different responses. So you had a bunch of people believed, but the people of the town were divided in their opinion about them. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. The first place they're called sent ones because they were sent out, but they were not the original 12. Um, then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. When the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Lyconia, to the towns of Lystra and Derby and the surrounding area. This, they're kind of going out into the villages. Um, and there they preached the good news. I just had a quick question. Why would you keep preaching when people tried to stone you? Did they not make the connection like we shared this good news and then people tried to kill us? Maybe we should stop sharing good news so people wouldn't try to kill us. That's what I think. Maybe I could be a little quieter, a little more undercover. Any of you ever shared something, some good news or whatever, and gotten a, a negative response and then been a little bit more like, ooh, maybe I'll be more careful next time. Now, careful is not necessarily bad, but uh, some of us can just be quiet. Be careful is different than be quiet, right? But they keep preaching, and it keeps getting them in trouble, as you will see. Um, so, remember we talked last time, they had very similar good news to Jews. When Jesus spoke to the synagogue back home, when Peter preached at Pentecost to Jews, when Paul speaks at, at, to the synagogue in Acts 13, the message is very similar, and they pick up on what God has been saying to our people in Scripture. They quote, quote Scripture, they tell all this stuff, and it's a very similar message. The, me the messengers are different. The message is similar. But then appropriate good news for different people can be different. So Paul preaches different things. What he preaches to the diaspora Jews in the synagogue in Acts 13 is different from what he's going to preach to pagan commoners in Lystra in a minute and to the pagan philosophers in Athens. So let's take a look at how it's different. Um, so while they were at Lystra, so now they, they fled and they went to Lystra, and Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth, so he had never walked. Never. Even as a baby. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached. Looking straight at him, Paul saw him. Paul realized he had faith to be healed. He saw something God was doing in this person who looked like God had forsaken him. He looked and said, God wants to do something. God is doing something in this person. He noticed what God was doing. So Paul called to him in a loud voice, stand up. And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. He didn't start crawling, even though he'd never done either of those. He started walking. Amazing. And Paul is, Luke is making very clear connections to when Peter and John came into the temple and a man had been lame since birth and he jumped up and started leaping and dancing and walking. You remember that story? And part of what Luke is trying to say is Jesus is not just at work in the temple in Jerusalem through the 12 apostles he chose, but he is at work even in this pagan backward city. What? Really? Even when Peter's not there? Yeah. God's at work. Even in this person who everybody thought was God forsaken. In this pagan city. 
God was at work. So remember who you were thinking maybe God wasn't at work in? Just think about that. God is at work. God arrived long before us. When Paul showed up in this town, it wasn't like, oh, God arrived. No. God was there. Paul's question was, what is God already doing? And he saw God has given faith to this person. He's listening carefully to what I'm, God is doing something. And then he took a risk to participate in what God is doing. I don't know about you, but for me, that would be a risk. Stand up! Hey, he didn't like, could you try standing up and see if it works? <laughs> he called out to everybody, and everybody's like, he's talking to this guy about standing up? And what if it didn't work? Now, Paul apparently also had some faith, as well, along with this guy, that Jesus could do some things, right? He saw what God was doing, what God wanted to do, and he said he took a risk. Now, just in case you're wondering, I stole all this from Rick Matson. all right? A lot of you know Rick Matson, our university friend. Uh, actually, there's lots of other people who say similar things, but these are his points. We're going to have him preach sometime, maybe in the fall, and do a workshop about witnessing. These are some of his main points. I stole them ahead of time. Just tuck them away and try them out. Then when he comes, you can say, I don't know if that worked, all right? So, so the interpretation now of what happened and the response. So when the crowd saw that what Paul had done, they shouted in their language, Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Whoa. This is a different response than we've had before. Um, and what are they supposed to do with that? Well, I know some people, I uh, just watched a BBC documentary, one man of God in, East, in Western Uganda said, yeah, that's right, I'm a God. And uh, he's got a whole cult going that, uh, you bet, he's, he's a God. Um, and there's other people who, when we're successful in American kind of terms, it becomes about, us and about signs and wonders we do but is that how they're going to respond now what i want you to notice is that everyone fits new experiences into previous experiences which have shaped the stories we have the culture we have our beliefs and feelings and ideas and the worldview assumptions we have underneath of those so they fit this into the stories that they knew let me just give you a quick um this is mentioned in a lot of different places. So Zeus was the patron god in Lystra, and the city had a temple in his honor. They associated Barnabas with Zeus, Zeus, perhaps because he was the more impressive figure, and Hermes identified with Paul since he was the chief speaker. The native people of Lystra thought they were being treated to a divine visitation similar to a past mythological appearance cited by the poet Ovid, in which the gods Zeus and Hermes came to visit the area but were unrecognized except by an old couple. You can see that in Metamorphosis. So the people set out to honor these supposed gods. So the story went that Zeus and Hermes showed up and they went to people's houses and, and people didn't receive them and a thousand houses got destroyed. But one old couple was like, oh sure, come on in. So this was a great story about hospitality. 
and they'd been, you know, used to encourage people to hospitality. These guys are like, we're not going to miss it a second time. This is Zeus and Hermes. Not going to make the same mistake twice. So they fit this right into the stories they knew. And just so you know, when you say something to people, they're going to fit it into the stories they know. The narrative they've been taught. The things that are in their culture. And you may not get it. And the farther you are away from that culture, the less likely you are to get it. So Paul, when he's speaking in Greek in a diaspora synagogue, he can go right there and right into their stories and go bang, bang, bang. This is it and this is it. And that's what that is. He knows the stories. Here, he doesn't even understand the language. They're like, what is going on? And to give a little mercy to, so we've often used uh, Paul and Barnabas in these trips as a model for missions, and that's not bad. But sometimes we forget that they spoke the language, they grew up there, and they knew a lot of stuff already. So we send missionaries, we're like, you've been there two years, what have you done? Well, I learned a language. You've been there 15 years, what have you done? Well, we got the New Testament translated. So it takes time if you don't know the language, you don't know the culture, you don't know what's going on. And I tell you, I was in Tanzania and it took me time to learn the language, took me time to figure out what was going on with all kinds of stuff. And I was much more effective at the end than I was at the beginning because I knew a little bit of what was going on and what people's real questions were, and what stories they were really behind, what assumptions were there. And some of us have grown up with particular things. And even in our city, we can run into people who have a different story. Even just a different generation, they have a different story. Like you think church is a good place to be, and a lot of and maybe somebody else doesn't. Maybe, so what you need to do is pay attention to what's going on. What's the interpretation going on here, okay? Um, so, but when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard what was happening, they tore their clothes in dismay and ran out among the people shouting, Friends! Friends! Why are you doing this? We're merely human beings. Now, they didn't say brothers, Israelites. They said, we're just human beings like you. We have come to bring you good news that you should turn from these worthless things, which is a term often used about idols, these worthless things, and turn to the living God. Well, who's that? There's all kinds of gods. Zeus, Hermes, what are you talking about? Well, the one who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. And I know you don't know Israelite history, but in your past, in the past, he permitted all nations to go their own ways, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. But even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely, scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. So they're calling them to reinterpret what happened to them. What was going on. And respond in a different way. Turn and repent and do something different. Okay? So let's be honest now. He sends you rain and gives you joyful hearts. So all of you who said, thank God for the rain this last week. Come on. Okay, we got one, two, maybe, or three. All right. 
And some people are saying, oh, I, I think I did that, yeah. How many of us misinterpreted the rain and we're like, oh my goodness. We missed what God was doing when he sent all this wonderful rain to grow crops so we could eat. We went to the grocery store and saying, wow, all this food that I can buy. We said, can you believe the prices are low? It's easy to miss and misinterpret what God's doing, isn't it? And when we have a little joy in our hearts, we can say, oh, that must have been, you know, I had a good conversation. God gave you a little joy. You should be depressed all the time. Let's be honest. If, God, if you have some joy, that came from God. Gave you some hope. It's easy for all of us to misinterpret. But if we interpret right, then we can turn from worthless things and turn to the living God. So we want to see. We want to recognize. Have you failed to notice God's work in ordinary life? A lot of us call things natural. Or maybe some things are supernatural. Paul just said, none of it's natural. There's creation that God's working in and sending rain. That's not natural. That's God. And then sometimes God does something special and somebody who never walked jumps up and starts walking. That's not supernatural. That's just God. God who created the rest of us to walk, created this one to walk. It's just God doing what God does. Sometimes fast, sometimes slow. Recognize. Have you failed to see how your story fits into God's story? Paul is telling me your story, what's happening with you, is part of what God is doing. Now, he didn't quote Scripture because they didn't know any Scripture. It wouldn't have helped. I think sometimes we get uncomfortable with witnessing because of what we've experienced when somebody witnessed to us, or maybe what we've experienced when we witnessed to somebody else, and we felt like we had to tell the whole thing and hit through the four spiritual laws, and, and maybe this person, you know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's number one. Is God? Yeah, God. Are you sure? We will. And now we're stuck already, right? Because the Lyconians didn't know God. You know, lots of gods. Notice that Paul didn't even get to Jesus. Didn't get to the resurrection or the crucifixion. I'm like, Paul, where is your witness here? I thought you were always about Jesus. He never even mentioned Jesus. And, people, and the commentators are all debating, but why was that? Did he just get cut off? Was it too fast? Was it, he just didn't have time. Because there's a lot of things to correct already. Like, there's one God who created everything, who's been providing for you, who's been giving you joy. That's a lot. So sometimes we are taught or we received a particular kind of witness that we take as the good news, the gospel. Okay? And there is, it's good news, but you don't have to tell all of it, and you can say it different ways and appropriate ways that for different people. Do you get what I'm saying? So a secular atheist needs to hear something different than a Muslim needs to hear. Because a Muslim already believes there is one God. Right? So different people need different things 
And the message, the good news, is different because their story is different and where God's story intersects with that might be different. And for you, where does your story intersect with God's story? Now, God's story in the Bible, that's the only story that Paul knows. But he doesn't have to tell it all in the first time. And then turn. Paul never fails to say, so you should respond to this. Different. Whoops. How did that happen? Um, is there anything worth less than the living God that you need to turn from and turn to the living God? It's not just pagan commoners out there someplace. Any of us have things that are worth less than the living God that we put too much hope and trust in that we really need to turn to the living God? For example, your, your, your job is really good, really important. But if you're looking to that to provide for you, maybe you need to turn from that and say, actually, the living God is the one who gives me food to eat and joy and satisfaction. Not my job. So, God is at work. God arrived long before. He was given food and he created this whole thing and he was there before these people knew it. And Paul knew that. And Paul saw what God's already doing and he pointed it out to them. Hey, joy, food, crops, rain. And this is, you know, peasants, commoners. Like in Athens, he's going to go to philosophers and quote all of them and all that. He doesn't go there. He just says, hey, rain, food, joy. Pretty good. God did that. Taking risks to participate in what God's doing. They took some risks to participate um, because when they said, no, 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 it's not the way you think, people don't like to hear it's not the way they think. And when they're told to turn, they could turn on you. And that's what happens. Um, then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul. Wait a second. He went from, he's a god, to stoning him? Oh yeah, that's kind of what happened to Jesus too, wasn't it? Sort of. Um, dragged him out of town thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into the town. I don't know if that's a miracle or they just mistook that he was dead. Uh, it's pretty amazing anyway. Because the next day he left with Barnabas and went to Derby. So he, he was ready for a trip the next day. Um... After preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Wait, wait. Back to where they just beat you up? Where they strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Speaking of stories that we have, that's not one of them. The stories in American culture are not about you must have many hardships before you enter the kingdom of God, right? The stories in the Christian church are not usually about that. They're usually about, it's, it's so easy. Just come up here, pray a prayer, you're good. Not that, that that's bad, but we, we forget that it's not a self-help gospel. This is not just, it's all going to be good. Just become a Christian. It'll all be happy, joy, and good. 
any of you heard some of that message sometimes? Or just pray the right way or just do something? No, he says, we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And to Timothy, many years later, now Timothy who lived in these areas, he picks him up on the way back through. He says, but you, Timothy, first of all, earlier he's saying, suffering with, suffer with me, Timothy. Um, be faithful. He says, but you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is, because he traveled with Paul. You know my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. So Paul remembers not only persecutions, but also God's salvation and rescue, like the time he got up after he was stoned. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Everyone, Paul? Really? Everyone? I don't like that. Couldn't it be those people in some other place? Those people dealing with you know, in communist China, those people, the radical, whatever, the fundamental. Could it just be those people that suffer? Oh, it's really quiet in here. Um, this is part of where the American story about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness doesn't fit as well with God's story. And we need to uh, work with that, okay? <laughs> and so when God, something happens in life that's bad, we don't give up and say, oh, I thought there was a God, and look at this. Did God promise you nothing would ever go wrong? That if you were a Christian, everything would be better? This says if you're a Christian, everything will be worse. You get normal stuff plus persecution. I mean, Paul didn't exactly have a happy life. I mean, he had a good life. He had a legacy. Do you want to be like Paul? Let's be honest, huh? I do and I don't. I want to have his legacy. I want to have that impact. But I, <laughs> that stoning stuff, <laughs> not so much. I could do without that part. But he says to Timothy, endure suffering with me. Why? Because it was worth it. To Paul, this wasn't just good news. This was everything. This was salvation. This was... If turning to the living God was not just that I think I might do that someday, sort of to... No, this was everything. It was worth it for Paul. It was worth it for him to risk anything for these people to get this good news and find the living God and turn to Jesus. How much is it worth to you to follow Jesus? How much is it worth to you to tell somebody else about Jesus? How much is it worth to me? Not as much as Paul, I'll be honest. But I want it to be. Because it's the reality. 
people to switch the price tags on us, folks. And the kingdom of God is worth suffering for. Jesus is worth what it might cost. He says, but you, Timothy, must remain... He talks about deceivers going from bad to worse in between here. And then he says, but you, Timothy, must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they're true, for you know though you can trust those who taught you, your parents and others who taught you the Holy Scriptures. You know they're true. And he goes on and talks about how true Scripture is. Do we know it's true? Or do we think it's probably, maybe, true? Do we think the people who taught it to us were yeah, pretty trustworthy? But then there's this other stuff that I've come across lately. It's true. And therefore, it's worth anything. So boldly share appropriate news of Jesus. Or just God, if that's as far as they can get. Of who? Of Jesus. Not of us. Um, I watched most of the movie on the airplane, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, uh, Baker. Unfortunately, that became about Jim and Tammy Faye. And when he was finally thrown in prison, he read through the whole Bible. Turned out it was good news. They were sharing some good news. God loves you. He really loves you. But they didn't have the whole good news, and it became about them. And anytime a ministry or a church is successful, it's so easy for it to become about the leader or us. Or hey, I'm kind of glad that we've had this season when we've kind of been pruned and some things have gone not so well. At least for me, it's been good, humbling. For us, it's been kind of good and humbling because it's not about us. What a cool church we are. It's about Jesus. If miracles happen, it's about Jesus. If miracles hap don't happen, Jesus knows about that too. And maybe we need to open our eyes to what's natural around us. The, the healings that are happening naturally <laughs> that Jesus is doing, for example. Why? Because it's valuable. Share good news because it's valuable. Jesus is valuable. He's worth risk, worth suffering. How? Appropriate to the listeners. Connect their story with God's story. God is at work in them. God is at work in you. Do you know where God is working in your story, in your life? Ask him to show you even more what he's doing in your life, in our life. So boldly participate, because God arrived long before. In your life, in the people who you're talking to, those God-forsaken people, those people who really don't want God, you think? What is God already doing? Pray so you can have discernment. What is it that God's doing? And then take risks to participate in what God is doing. There might be some risks, okay? I'm going to give you a simple thing. Invite someone to Easter or Good Friday or another event. Maybe they just need to window shop the gospel. Maybe you just need to say, well, so here's the website that you can find the Easter service on um, if you don't want to come in person. Or maybe there's a, another event that you can take somebody to. But 
let's, let's say it's Easter or some other event, all right? This is the event. We're having Easter service at our church. We're having pancake breakfast. Um, and it's going to go about this long, and about this many people wear masks, and about this many people don't, and this is what you can wear, and this is what you don't have to wear, and you don't have to have your perfect Easter dress, and whatever. Give them the details so they know. You, know, you, you girls all know those guys who are like, so what are you doing Friday? It depends, right? So don't tell people, so what are you doing Easter weekend? You don't tell them what, what is the event, okay? This is why I'm going, okay? In a way that is really why you're going. And is a way that makes sense to them. So I'm going on Easter because all my friends go to this church. So you should come too. Like, well, <laughs> I don't have any friends that go to that church. How about because what are some reasons you're coming on Easter that you could share with somebody who doesn't have all their friends here? Or maybe you aren't coming on Easter. Anybody have it? A... <laughs> to celebrate. We're going to have pancakes. There's going to be good music. You're going to have to think about this one. There's probably something good happening on Sunday. So just think. Take the week and think about it. Some reason why somebody else in your neighborhood, your friend, your, fa your family member would want to go. That's really a reason why you go. This is why I'm going. My friend and I would love to have you join us for Easter. And maybe you could come over for lunch afterwards. Or you can come for, just come for breakfast. Um, again, I'm stealing this from Rick Matson, so you can give him credit. But it's that simple, right? Just, just make a, a simple invitation to uh, come to this thing. That's sometimes easier than some other things we do, right? Um, and then you can put it all on me to share just exactly what's appropriate for your friend. You'll probably have to interpret it and reinterpret it afterwards. But um, So, boldly participate in what God is doing in your life, the flow that's happening in your life. Notice God's overflow. God arrived long before, and he's doing stuff not only in you and your Christian friends, but in your non-Christian friends. In pagan villages where all they know is Zeus and Hermes, God's at work. You guys remember some of these, maybe some of you remember some stories, I can't tell the whole stories, but Bruce Olson from Minneapolis goes down to some jungle in, the, in, the, in the South America where people had not had any contact. He gets trapped and he gets, uh, you know, and, and he is wounded and he recovers and he lives there and just tries to figure out how in the world I'm going to share the gospel with these people. But they just watch him and slowly, God, and he learns the language and he listens and he sees what's happening. One friend gets, gets saved eventually from watching him. And then he remembers this story about how the banana leaf was going to come, the banana stalk, which looks like a Bible, was going to share this good news about this story that they've had for all this time. And then he sings it. He sings it in the hammock, and other people repeat it, and he sings it in the hammock. They do this for all day. And then the whole village gets saved. Years before figure out how the stories fit together. But his friend figured that out. Um, Peace Child is another one. There's a lot of places where we, we don't even necessarily know, but God knows. He's been doing stuff everywhere. 
and we get the chance to participate because he arrived a long time before we came. What is God already doing? What's God already doing, the person you're thinking about? Or those people who you think have no, or maybe even in your life, what is God already at work in that God-forsaken spot? And take risks. It's risky, I admit it. It's risky to participate in what God's doing. You have to put your neck out. Sometimes you have to say, stand up! When you don't really know if they're going to stand up or not. And you might have to risk some rejection, at least from some people. Let's have the worship team come on up. Um, 2022 is a year to go and grow in God's overflow. And it turns out the people in Lystra and Derby weren't going to show up in Jerusalem, or even Antioch, or even the synagogue. But because Paul and Barnabas went, things changed. Let's pray. Lord, we don't know everything you're doing. And we often misinterpret what you're doing. So we ask that you give us eyes to see what you're doing in our own lives. Give us eyes to see what you're doing in the lives of those we interact with. Our coworkers, our neighbors, our friends and our family, people around us. Give us wisdom to discern that and help us to have the boldness to risk participating in what you're doing. Go in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, the Creator, the Healer, the One who is at work in your life and each one you meet in every culture, in every place. May you meet Him on your way this week. And may you return for Good Friday to celebrate his sacrifice for us and Easter to celebrate his life. Not only given, but given to us. Resurrection life. God bless you as you go. Amen. Amen.